I'll be Mr. Dijon. Dijon? Yeah, it's like a dark yellow, like Dijon mustard, the spicy kind. Oh. Like Grey Poupon. You know, they call um, a quarter pounder of cheese um, at a deli. What? A Dijon with cheese. That makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) We have to go back. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are going to be uh, recapping, reviewing of the 1992 classic Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, so Hateful Eight just came out, and uh, we figured we wanted to see what was the first movie in the the line of movies that really set this off. Because if you look at The Hateful Eight, it's billed as the eighth movie from Quentin Tarantino. So we look at the official first movie from Quentin Tarantino. And yes, yeah. I am very sick right now. Yeah, yeah. We uh, This is, in fact, Grayson um, and not the uh, actor who played uh, Joe yeah. in Reservoir Dogs. I am not Lawrence Tierney, even though I may sound <laughs> like Lawrence Tierney right now. <laughs> yeah, so this movie, Reservoir Dogs, originally came out in 1992. This was uh, Quentin Tarantino, director of Quentin Tarantino's first like proper feature film uh, that he released. And it was a... It, it has a lot of interesting history, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie uh, started out in the... Uh, in like the independent film circuit, like it wasn't like a studio release film initially. It was like a independent film that was made um, with uh, our lead character, uh, Mr. White, as a producer on the film. Uh, Mr. White being played by uh, Harvey Human Mix. Har- oh, sorry, yeah, <laughs> Harvey Keitel. Yeah, Harvey Keitel. He uh, actually helped produce the film. Yeah, Harvey Keitel, uh, he pops up occasionally in the Tarantino universe. Uh, He reprised his Tarantino role uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction when he was uh, the wolf. Yeah. Shows back up and helps him out of a scrape. Yeah. Uh, And that's probably his more famous, uh, one of his more famous roles with Quentin Tarantino. But Harvey Keitel's been around forever. He's one of those tough gangster guys. Yeah, he, uh, like, basically from... um like I watched this interview with uh, Quentin Tarantino and uh, basically his acting teacher's friend was Harvey Keitel's wife who basically gave, he gave the script to the teacher who gave it to his wife who gave it to Harvey directly. He really liked it. And so he like funded it to make all these different things happen. Like, they're based out in L.A., and he's like, hey, uh, Harvey Keitel basically said, hey, I, you guys need to uh, do some casting in New York. Uh, there's some really great talent out there. And Tarantino was like, uh, we don't, we're don't, we poor. We don't have money uh, to do that. Uh, and then he's like, well, uh, I'll, I'll, you have to send you guys out there. I'll, I'll do it. And he did. And so that's where he got um, the uh, the... <laughs> The Merc with the Face of <laughs> Steve Buscemi, um, as well as Tim Roth and uh, Michael Madsen, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but like, and Tim Roth, uh, Mr. Orange, he 
uh, originally wasn't going to read for the role, or because he apparently auditions horribly. Oh. Um, that's his thing. Like he's like, I don't like reading because I typically do bad at readings. But he's a really talented actor. Um, but then, more or less, the the story goes that uh, they hung out one night and they finally convinced him to do a read, and he read really well for Mr. Orange. So he doesn't so, do auditions. He's like, you give me the role or I walk. <laughs> I am Tim Roth. <laughs> yeah. And um, and the movie uh, was quite the success uh, overall, like especially for uh, 1992. Uh, it made money. <laughs> no, um, it made about um, $2 million in its original run in the box office, but then internationally it made like a ridiculous amount of money um in usa or in the budget was only and i say only um it was a million uh a million two hundred thousand dollars estimated budget um but in the uk the gross for the uk screenings was like 63 million oh wow wait i take that back the sixty-three thousand opening. Uh, I'm looking at wrong numbers. <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you Sorry. spent one point two million, made back sixty-three million dollars. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah, you're good for the rest of your career. No, um, so it started out with a very limited release actually. So it only opened up it with uh, twenty-four screens, mm-hmm. um, at about sixty-three thousand. Uh, that's the number I was looking at. But then they released it to more and more screens. And over its initial run, it made uh, around the $2 million. Mm. But then in the UK, internationally, it made about £6 million, which I don't know conversion rate, what that breaks down to. Uh, but it was way, uh, it was more successful overseas. A lot of people point to this movie as like a very important film uh, in terms of the, uh, not only for independent films, because it was uh, a movie that was made for relatively little money. Because most low-budget films nowadays are like five million dollars. Like five million dollars mm-hmm. is a like an independent film. Very that's considered a low-budget film nowadays. Right. And a lot of that's because it, it takes place in one location for a, a large part of the films, just in that warehouse. Which, if you're looking to make a low-budget film, try to find a, a single location that you can really yeah. harness. Yeah, if you want to make a low budget film, remake Reservoir Dogs, uh, <laughs> and and you'll be on your way. <laughs> well, the way that the film is constructed, I was looking at it. It was like this would actually be very well adapted into a stage play. Like you just Dude, have, right? yeah, you just have the warehouse, and then for the the flashback scenes, you can kind of pull them downstage, do some yeah. lighting. But yeah, it, it's mostly in that one area. So that's most of the. Uh, fun tidbits in history of this uh we're gonna go into the recap uh sharing some of our favorite moments and uh notable things from the story uh because this for me this was my first time seeing the movie uh, this movie came out in 1992 um i was not old enough to go see a radar movie no. uh and this would have terrified me as a kid the ear thing still gets to me oh man okay so fun fact about that uh, during one of the screenings of this movie, Wes Craven was in the audience, right? Mm-hmm. During that scene, he walked out. Oh, really? 
from all yes, the things that have come from the mind of Wes Craven? Wes Craven couldn't stomach the ear cutting scene. So he can dish it out, but he can't take it. <laughs> That's so Craven. That. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so Wes Craven and Rick Baker, uh, special effects makeup artists, uh, actually walked out during the ear-cutting scene. And the reason why is because um, a lot of people were pointing to it as, like, it felt too realistic. Mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of difference. Like, Wes Craven kind of goes out there with a lot of his, um, like, gore and, like, the way he goes about showing and portraying those kinds of things. Yeah. It's just, like, super over the top. Like... Let's let's see like what would happen if someone got pulled through a bed and blood started squirting from the ceiling. Like that's like a weird thing that you wouldn't necessarily imagine ever happening. Which is actually like, more how like the Kill Bill style ended up being. Yeah. But yeah, in this initial one, there's not a ton of blood. It's yeah. just cut his ear off. Oh, and the last thing, uh I will uh I'll add on before we go into the actual review of it. The um the term Reservoir Dog, uh, oh, yeah. the title actually comes from a uh, somewhat of an inside joke. Uh, he uh, So Quentin Tarantino, uh, like uh, most archetypes of aspiring uh, film writers, worked at a video shop. So when Tarantino worked at this uh, video shop, he would recommend uh, little-known titles. Um, and it was back in the day, think of like a blockbuster where employees could have like staff picks and they would like put their own little movies there. And so anytime he would recommend a movie, he'd recommend super unknown movies or, um, little known titles. And, uh, one time he requested our revoir le infants and the patron replied, I don't want to see no reservoir dogs. <laughs> and <laughs> So, <laughs> so, so he's like, I like that. And, um, another little Easter egg in the movie is Cabot, the last name of, uh, Joe and nice guy, Eddie, mm-hmm. um, Cabot is slang for dog in French. Oh, yeah. why, do they have, why do the French have a slang word for dog? <laughs> do we have a slang word? For, pooch, I guess, is a slang word for dog. Like little, oh yeah, like a little pooch. Yeah, yeah. Or, look at uh, that. Like, uh, like mutt. So this would be like nice guy pooch, Joe pooch. <laughs> yeah, mutt. Yeah. Hey, I'm nice guy pooch. <laughs> yeah. Now, kind of diving deeper into the um, the uh, review of the movie. Uh, so this is my first time seeing this. Actually, really. My first time ever uh, actually seeing this. I feel like the time I would have seen it would have been uh, during our film classes. Uh, but they, they didn't show it. So I I had always heard about Reservoir Dogs. And I always knew um, about the aliases, the Mr. Uh, Pink, Mr. Brown, um, all the different colors. I knew things about it. And I knew the infamous uh, stuck in the middle with you. Like, yeah. you're kind of, I, I, I knew that that song was associated to this movie, but I never knew in what way. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, finally seeing it, I'm like, oh my word. Like, this is quite the movie. Like, he, I mean, from the opening scene, like, it's, it screams Tarantino, but like, like I mean, it, it felt like I 
was watching the origins of quick uh Carantino. now i don't even know how to say his name <laughs> of uh tarantino's um like director style like the whole panning around the kitchen table or in the kitchen table the dining or the <laughs> words him <laughs> panning around the uh table while they're having the conversation about uh madonna's like a virgin mm-hmm. um like the origins of like what that is even about i i was like this is this is a tarantino film and uh fun fact uh so <laughs> mr pink's character uh played by uh, steve buscemi uh the whole tipping i don't tip argument oh yeah that was inspired by uh quentin tarantino's um uh, actual stinginess <laughs> Oh, so Tarantino was the one who held those beliefs. Yeah, Tarantino doesn't tip. I don't know if he does anymore, but like that was a very strong held belief of his. Well, would you say he should now? <laughs> He's done very yeah, well for himself. He has. <laughs> when I first watched it, I was like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I could have done without that opening scene. Like, because we've talked before about like you want to start a story at the most interesting part of. Mm-hmm the story but then the way um after doing the research i was realizing how people like tarantino hates the idea of people calling the scene the flashback scenes flashbacks mm. uh because he's not like these people aren't recalling these moments like these people aren't thinking about these moments he sees it more as just like disjointed storytelling like that's one of the first movies one of the bigger popular movies that um told stories out of order Oh, yeah. And so it made more sense because um, a lot of nerds of the internet pointed out all these different things. Like, you get to actually see the characterizations of all the characters, like, up front. Um, With, uh, I'm sure we should have said this before, but spoiler alert for Reservoir Dogs. It's been (laughs) almost 20 years. Uh, (laughs) But the, um, with Mr. Orange. uh, He actually, like, when Joe comes back, he's like, hey, who didn't tip? Mr. Orange is like, oh, Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink didn't tip. And Mr. Orange is the one who's kind of ratting out Mr. Pink. He's the Mm -hmm. one who's, like, being an informant of just, like, what, like, who didn't do what. And uh, I was like, oh, that's, like, foreshadowing. Like, this whole conversation is, like, (laughs) foreshadowing. Like, even... um, Let's see. Oh, Mr. Blonde. Like, someone said, hey, actually, can you shoot this guy for me? And Mr. Blonde does a little finger gun and, like, points to Mr. White and shoots it. And then Mr. White is defending the waitresses. Um, Like, listen, no, you should tip these waitresses. They don't make anything. And so, like, all the characterization is, like, super there. Uh, And I thought that was super interesting. I was like, oh, I think I have a new appreciation for this opening scene. Even the lack of characterization for Mr. Blue, who is barely <laughs> in the movie, says like two things in that conversation. Poor, Poor Mr. Mr. Blue. Blue. Why even show up to work? I had to imagine that that was like the easiest paycheck to pick up. I was looking so at like, his what? IMDb it- credits and yeah, it's like, oh, I just have to wear a suit and sit there and smoke a cigar. Great. But yeah, his IMDb credits, he's not really done anything that I've seen a lot of, i mean the most recognizable one from his list was the longest yard oh really i mean he, he's got a famous face like you look at him you're like that guy has been in stuff yeah. um but yeah he's he's been around forever and he's still alive he's still 
He's 71, living in Burbank. But wow. But yeah, he uh, he is not in a lot of that movie. No, like he's in the opening scene, and then when they start talking about Mr. Orange's, uh, like him infiltrating the whole gang. Um, yeah, well, and he's in whole- whenever they're giving out the the names too. Right. He's sitting there, but yeah, when they're like, "What happened? What happened to Mr. Blue?" Like, uh, Mr. Blue's dead. And we're like, that, that's that's a wrap on Mr. Blue. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a wrap. Yeah, the uh, yeah, like that whole scene, like that opening conversation was like, like is very nonsensical. Uh, another fun fact uh, is that nice guy Eddie, uh, played by Chris Penn, aka uh, Jonah Hill in the future, uh, <laughs> he is actually Sean Penn's brother. Yeah, his youngest, his youngest brother. brother. And Sean Penn was at one point in time married to Madonna. So yeah. we were having a conversation about uh, brother-in-law. And he could have just told him. Um, th- yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that with the Madonna connection and the Penn family. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, I thought that was, it was something that I was looking up. I'm just like, man, people have just really poured over this movie. Like, and if you notice here, the extra actually is someone who made an appearance in this other movie. Like, it was like, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I need to, I need to rewatch this movie and see what all these other people are getting. Um, yeah. Well, this movie is also full of faces that you, when you watch it, you go, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> you know, where it's like hard to really pinpoint yeah. what you've seen them in. Um, I mean, Michael Madsen is super famous and has shown up uh, in other Tarantino films, notably Kill Bill Volume 2, uh, where he uh, he plays the cowboy. Oh, yeah. In the camper. And if you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia series, um, he was uh, the White Witch's uh, wolf. <laughs> he was, mm. I just watched that, and I was like, hey, it's Michael <laughs> Madsen's voice. <laughs> he's He's the wolf. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah, because like I was super surprised uh, to see uh, Tim Roth because because like when I saw him, I was like, he kind of that guy kind of looks like the guy from the Incredible Hulk movie. I was like, nah, that can't be him because like Tim yeah. Roth as like current Tim Roth and young Tim Roth look like they might be related. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, like to me, it doesn't look like the same person. It looks like well, well, he might be related to him. He kind of looks like that guy from the Hulk movies, but like him, super young and well, you know, covered in blood. Uh, he looks a little different. He does look different, but he made a face in Reservoir Dogs whenever he's looking up at Harvey Keitel, and the way he gritted his teeth, mm-hmm. I realized I think. Tarantino stopped using Tim Roth and then just started using Christoph Waltz because they have the exact same mouth. Oh man. Wow. He just transitioned. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. That's a good. Tim Roth also in Pulp Fiction, he was the guy robbing the diner in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And then, and then, then he moved on. (laughs) Then he moved on. Yeah. The, um, And so, like, once they get into, like, the whole after the heist thing, which I know was probably initially a budgetary thing, 
but like like not actually showing the heist um mm-hmm. or or maybe because you know tarantino and george lucas who knows what originally happened for whatever things uh directorially but he is saying like yeah that was the plan all along to never really show the right. heist i think that was so smart because it wasn't the it wasn't really about the heist it was about like the aftermath of the heist um mm-hmm. and there's actually a video game uh where a 2002 video game that came out for the ps3 uh that is horrible <laughs> but yeah i've never the, heard uh, of it yeah well they or i say that back 2006 um and you're actually allowed um as a player you actually commit the heist that's only alluded oh. to in the film which i feel like that would be kind of worth it in the like in like playing the game but it, it's one of those things that we've talked about with the idea of like letting the mystery be mystery like we don't necessarily need that information we don't need to see how it actually went down yeah, because that, well, that's the point of not seeing it is everybody has a different account of what happened in the heist, right? Because whenever they're like, whenever Mister White and Mister Pinker are retelling it to each other, Mister Pink has to stop him and be like, "No, no, no, that's not what happened." Mm-hmm. And if we saw the heist, then it takes away that mystery. We we know what happened. They could have dramatized each person's different interpretation of the heist, but that would have become very tedious. Yeah, because then it just becomes vantage point. Oh yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, and and it was uh, it was such a cool way that they went about just like having each of the characters show up to <laughs> show up to the uh, safe house and um and respond differently. Like everyone just came in with a different thing. <laughs> Mister Mister Blonde, I'm telling you guys, maybe my favorite character in the entire movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, he shows I mean, he's, up. He's a horrible person, but he has the most style. Oh man, he walks in with a fast food drink. Uh, he just comes up. He's like, "Oh hey, did did you stop by? Pick something up?" Yeah. He's just like, like this whole situation did not phase him at all. Yeah. Like, where are the French fries? Oh, I ate them in the car. Yeah. So um, this might just be hearsay, um, but there, uh, in my research, I found that that was inspired by an actual event of um, the actor who played Mr. Blonde, uh, Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen doing a basically doing some research because the guy who played the cop, he's like, "Well, I I want to do some method acting. I want you guys to actually put me in the trunk and um, drive around the block so I can like." know what it's like to actually drive around in a trunk, right? Um, You know, like you do. It's the 90s. Um, Sure. And so then uh, they had Michael Madsen um, drive the car. Um, He was just supposed to drive around the block, but he's like, well, I never knew what it was like to drive with someone in the trunk of a car. So he <laughs> works just started driving down alleys with potholes. He actually went to Taco Bell <laughs> and just grabbed some food. And then he came back to the warehouse, opened up the trunk. The guy was so upset. <laughs> Tarantino oh. just saw him coming out of the car with his soda. He's like, we're going to keep that. 
and uh and they got rid of the taco bell cup with used like just a generic fast food truck but uh yeah that's <laughs> i feel that's like that amazing. would be something that did actually happen um <laughs> well then I, I feel like Kirk Baltz could really use that in his role of Marvin Nash to <laughs> have the anger towards Mr. Blonde. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man. Well, you, you know, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um, And that whole scene with Mr. White, like him dancing while he's torturing Marvin, is mm-hmm. like that. It's weird because, like, it's something that's been in, like, I remember there was, like, an Itchy and Scratchy reference in The Simpsons mm. to that happening. Like, Itchy and Scratchy. Like, Scratchy is the one. No, sorry. Wait, which one's the mouse and the cat? Itchy's the cat. Scratchy. Why is this conversation happening? Just uh, record it both ways, and we'll edit the right one later. Sounds good. <laughs> so, Itchy. <laughs> so, Itchy is, uh... Like, dancing around in the warehouse, like, wearing an all-black suit and, like, pouring gasoline on Scratchy as, like, an itchy and Scratchy sketch. And so, <laughs> like, that whole thing is happening. So, like, I've been aware of that scene, but, like, how it connects to the movie, uh, it just, it it was so interesting and um, really, like, dark. Like, they, like, that scene, he's like, hey, listen, I don't care what you say. I'm. I just think it's fun to um, to torture. I, I to torture a cop. So and he cuts off his ear. I'm just like, oh, like this is unsettling. Like I can understand why um, <laughs> Wes Craven would walk out because it's like he's not like a Freddy Krueger type character who's just like crazy and sadistic and super like animated about like doing awful things or like maniacal he's just like very calm and very normalized mm-hmm. by the thing it's like oh uh this is this is unsettling then he then it gets revealed you know that mr orange is the cop because like i wasn't like i honestly was not expecting it like i know that they were talking about it and i thought it was like a whole thing with uh, Mr. Pink's, uh, Steve Buscemi's character is like, no, it had to be a setup, this, that, the other. I just thought it was kind of like his conspiracy theory. But when it actually happens, like, hey, Marvin, I'm a cop. I'm like, what? Like, it, like it's weird, A, that this has not been spoiled for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the few Tarantino spoilers that actually exist. Because most of the time you just experience his films, but this one is a definitive spoiler. Yeah, and uh, and then him concealing that, and then seeing how he infiltrated everything, just seeing how all these different things did happen. Like it was super interesting. I was like, oh man, like where are they gonna ha- what, like what's gonna happen? And then uh, nice guy Eddie comes back in. And we see him not be nice at all. He's like, hey, what happened? He's like, oh, he's going to kill the cop. Oh, you mean this cop? He just shoots the cop. Like, oh, my word. Like, oh, man. Like, I wasn't expecting this from Jonah Hill in the future. (laughs) And then I love what he says when he does it. He goes, is that better or worse? (laughs) Like, he shoots better or worse. Yeah. And then um, Joe comes in and they have the standoff. And he's just like, oh, no, I knew it was him. He's the only person who didn't sit right with me. It's like, okay, well, come on, Joe. Let's be honest. It, it's because everyone else is dead, right? <laughs> like, like how, like <laughs> you should have called, you could have called ahead and say, hey, the cop is orange. If you really knew it was that. 
Yeah, uh, kind of by default. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, uh, so it's him. That last scene, when, when Joe comes back in, there's a standoff there where they're all pointing guns at each other. Yep. So there have been some questions about this scene, and I think we can really dig into it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong with the way this is set up. Joe has a gun on Mr. Orange. Correct. Harvey Keitel is defending Mr. Orange and has a gun on nice guy. No, he has a gun on Joe. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Harvey Keitel is pointing the gun at Joe. Nice guy Eddie is pointing the gun at Mr. White. Mm -hmm. When they shoot, Joe, nice guy Eddie, and Mr. White all get shot. Yeah. Well, and and no, Joe, Mr. Orange gets yeah. shot again, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So Joe shoots Orange, White mm-hmm. shoots Joe, and no one shoots Eddie. <laughs> yeah, but he still falls, and that's right. that's the problem. Is nice guy Eddie goes down? Yeah. Who shot Eddie? I think, I think Mr. Pink shot nice guy Eddie because he was hiding underneath. I think he did. I think he did the math. He saw where the guns were trained because. Uh, Mr. Pink is hiding under that ramp that's in the back. Yeah. Like, we don't even see him. So I think he would have been the only one that could have done it um, because Mr. Orange, his hands are empty. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Orange has, like, no weapon on him. My other theory around that would be that, like, the only thing that would make sense uh, because what actually happened was, like, a a shooting error. (laughs) Like, when they were, like, getting coverage, like, they made a mistake. Um, but to end story, my guess is that because, you know, the, this was like a sting operation that like someone said, hey, if you have a clear shot, take out such and such. I know that they want to bring Joe in, but that that was the same point in time where they were like going to take out Eddie if he was because they probably thought that they had the gun pointed at Orange. So my mm. guess is that there is like some kind of sniper situation. Um, oh, okay. Came through the window. Yeah. But I think yours makes more sense just because of the trajectory. Yeah. Well, Mr. Pink is the smart one where he yeah. knows how to get out of it. Like, he's the professional. He says it over and over again. Yeah. He's the only one acting I'm the professional. the only professional. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was looking at that. I watched it back a couple times. Yeah, me too. Like, like, I was researching. They were saying, oh, who shot Eddie? I'm like, oh, it was... Wait, who did shoot Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, fun fact about Lawrence Tierney, or Joe, uh, that is Elaine Bennis' father on Seinfeld. So another, hey, that guy moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, yeah, that whole final scene is interesting, too. So once everyone goes down and uh, Mr. Orange reveals to Mr. White, who has been defending Mr. Orange the entire movie, mm-hmm. Uh, reveals that he is a cop. Yeah. Like, Mr. White loses it. Um, Harvey Keitel just breaks down. But while that's happening, there's a completely other scene going on. And if you don't have the sound up high enough, you miss it. And it's Steve Buscemi actually outside trying to start his car. The car won't start. He tries to drive away, hits a pole, and the police swarm him and take him down. All of that is happening 
while Harvey Keitel is losing his mind inside. Yeah. And it's just an amazing way to show, like, it's not just what you see, but what you hear that can tell the story. Because yeah. you're actually getting two scenes at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I had to re I had to rewatch that and re listen for that too because everyone's like, yeah. So then you know, Pink tries to get away, but he doesn't. I'm like, how did I miss the scene? Was there an after credit scene that I didn't see? But like, I went back and listened to. It. I was like, oh wow, you can hear all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super super interesting, and um, and yeah, that's that's the movie. Um, and it is the movie. I was. Yeah, I was I was surprised by a lot of things in it, but I was really impressed with like how well it uh, it still holds up as like a heist film. Like I feel it was very disjointed, um, but the characters felt super real and just honest. Like I'm telling you, like Mr. White, because I, I I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but like Dane Cook brought up like like in a heist there's always there's always this one guy it's always the guy who's crazy who's like the psycho for hire it's like it's always the one guy's like no 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 he's good he's good don't worry and he's just the crazy guy and they i think he was referencing heat but like i remember thinking oh so this is that guy like he's the crazy guy yeah granted he like, oh, Mr. is Blunt. yeah <laughs> granted he kind of is but like it was so much like that character just seemed so realistic in a way like i felt like man like it's weird how honest and like real these characters feel like each person Mm -hmm. has depth and they all have their own personal motivation for like why they want to be doing this heist and i was like great job tarantino like he i mean he wrote these very well fleshed out characters absolutely and i think you get a lot of that in that first conversation Mm -hmm. uh to just see their personalities and and get a feel for who they are as people. And we had talked about like that first scene didn't seem to be necessary, but I think you have those talks and it's kind of a funny scene. And then immediately the next thing you see is Mr. Orange covered in blood in the back seat. Like it's jarring. Yeah. And you realize, oh, this isn't going to be like fun chats around the table. This is right. going to be pretty gritty. Oh, yeah. But since we've come all the way back to the beginning with the recap, <laughs> we can probably move on. Yeah. So this movie uh, has been around for a while. It's one of those cult classics. And with many cult classics, you have a ton of headcanon. So we're going to go into that right now. Headcanon um, is unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the movie. We've talked a little bit about that, but there's this Tarantino headcanon that the um, that this movie exists within the larger Tinoverse. That's I not like what it's it. called. <laughs> I like it. And one of the headcanons that um, was basically a headcanon by Quentin Tarantino uh, that just didn't make it in was that the when they so this was his first um, big like theatrical release film. Uh, his second being Pulp Fiction, and one of the original intentions was that the case that they got. In Pulp Fiction was supposed to be the diamonds from Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs. So the diamonds that they never got, in theory, was supposed to be what everyone was after in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So like Reservoir Dogs was like a setup and Pulp Fiction was like the payoff for like who got these jewels kind of thing. Right. Which is why when people see them in the 
criminal community, these have become legendary diamonds and be like, oh, no one really knew what happened to them. So that's why we're going, is that what I think it is? And yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just being passed on, which, which makes sense because um, Mr. Blonde is the big connection point between uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction because mm-hmm. Mr. Blonde's actual name is Vic Vega, which uh, makes him the brother of um, John Travolta's character, Vincent Vega. Oh, yeah. Huh. So there is a very direct, purposeful connection between the two of them. Yeah. The movie did a good job of just, like, keeping you on the edge of your uh, edge of your seat because, like, I couldn't even think of anything outside of, like, trying to figure out what is happening. Who's going to come mm-hmm. in next? But, like, one of the things that I think would be an interesting piece of headcanon is that um, – that it's um that they're at the same diner. Did you ever see uh Grindhouse? That's the only one I haven't seen. Okay, so Grindhouse is like a theatrical release, like taking it back to like the classic horror movie, like B horror movie experience where you would see like three movies like back to back to back, basically, with like intermissions built into the film. So it's like a three hour movie. Um and one was directed by or I take that back, it was two movies. Um, and one was directed by Robert Rodriguez. The other was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino's movie yeah, was Death Proof. Yeah, it was Death Proof by Quentin Tarantino, and then Planet Terror by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. So in Death Proof, they have that same kind of around the um, around the diner table conversation with um, all these different women, and I can't remember what the conversation was about, but. My headcanon is that it's the same little diner. Same diner oh. from uh, Reservoir Dogs. There are a lot of diners. A lot of diners in the Tarantino universe. Oh, yeah, you're right, because they robbed that diner in Pulp Fiction, too. <laughs> yeah, it's ah. Tim Roth robbing the diner, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also, um, I think, Theory, just because they both had jerry curl hair, Samuel L. Jackson is related to the cop in some way. From um, oh, the holdaway, yeah. There's oh. a theory that that's also a, a thing, and there's um, I mean, because like in this movie, for me at least, it's tough to think of anything uh, like bigger headcanon wise than already what they established because there's just so much like already clearly there. I was just like, oh man, I can't think of anything else that could exist outside of this. Yeah, there, it is very established right off the bat. Like, and people have analyzed the connections between these movies for a long time, and they're continuing to do it with the revised history Tarantino movies, um, with like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. Yeah. Um, and now Hateful Eight also falls into that category somewhat. Yeah. Um, and what's what's the uh, what's the theory again behind like the violence in the uh, Quentin Tarantino universe? I remember there being like some kind of like, oh, wait, so because of this, this is why everything's so crazy in this world. Yeah, so the idea was that, well, there's, with the revised history, it changed the way that people interact with violence uh, because of the way that Hitler was killed, basically. Oh, and that's so, right. From Inglorious Bastards. Spoiler and for so, every Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> with, uh, with him uh, being killed in such a violent way... People are just more comfortable with violence in the Tarantino universe. Hmm. Um, and so they say that they just progress into this naturally violent state 
um, even in their entertainment, uh, because uh, one of the other theories is that the show that Uma Thurman worked on in Pulp Fiction, the Fox Force 5 show, uh, Kill Bill is actually that show. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so you have these nested universes where like Kill Bill is supposed to be a show, essentially, that it's not real life. Um, and so we're seeing the show within a Tarantino universe, which is why Kill Bill has a lot of those um, like quirky cinematic moments where she'll talk directly to the camera or the cut stuff interesting or switch to an animation yeah. um, because it is actually a form of media in that universe. Yeah. But yeah, they're more violent because of Hitler, that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that because, yeah, that ties everything together. <laughs> Man, fans are the best. I <laughs> like when people think <laughs> about those things. Uh, excellent. So now we're going to go into uh, what I've been uh, really looking forward to um, is the uh, recast and remake section of the show where we talk about uh, who we would recast in this movie and if there were to be a remake and or a sequel even, um, how the stories would progress from there on and um, what we would change. Um, I would first like to throw in my nomination to uh, recast Nice Guy Eddie with, of course, Jonah Hill. Because, like, of course. I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, is that guy related to Jonah Hill, like, at all? Because he looks a lot like Jonah Hill. Yeah, we touched on some of this before. Tim Roth would be Christoph Waltz. Oh, yeah. Um, you just drop him right in, switch him out. Uh, Stephen Wright, the DJ, would be played yeah. by my currently sick voice. <laughs> um, I would just put myself in there. Yeah. Hey, Billy DJ. <laughs> Super sounds of the 70s. All right, this one's an oldie but a goodie. I would have Liam Neeson uh, play Mr. White. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's kind of like a yeah. like a somewhat fatherly, weathered man. And then I would want Steve Buscemi to just reprise his role. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to get a better face than that. No. Mr. White, I'm not just saying it because it's Mr. White, but I really think Brian Cranston would be a great (laughs) Mr. White. Yeah. He would be an excellent Mr. White. Yeah. Him just defending Mr. Orange. Like, I know this guy. No, that would be good. I watched him take a bullet in the gut. <laughs> and I want um, Nick Offerman to be Mr. Brown. Or sorry, Mr. Blue. Oh, Mr. Blue. Yeah, he's just <laughs> in it for two scenes. Um, yeah, I don't know who to recast as Mr. Blonde, though. Um, oh, man. Vince Vaughn. I'm thinking, Vaughn. Um, oh, my goodness, you're right. Vince Vaughn Dude, he as look, Mr. Blonde. He looks so much like Vince Vaughn at first. I wasn't convinced he wasn't for a while. <laughs> It's like, oh, oh you're weird. That doesn't make right. that doesn't make sense timeline wise. Because swingers, he was super young. Uh, okay, I guess it's not Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I would uh, cast Robert Duvall as uh, Joe. Ooh, excellent choice. Yeah, yeah. it's nothing funny about that. I just would do it. <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> Creative <laughs> license. Yeah, I feel like this movie. I like the idea of um, there being, like, because the movie is very dark, but it had its funny moments, and it led me to think, especially with Jonah Hill being in the movie, 
of there being a sequel that's almost more it's just as violent but a little more comedic um mm-hmm. with the same cast that we talked about but the sequel is everyone trying to redo what the reservoir dogs did like because oh. that so basically they say listen guys these guys almost pulled off the perfect heist and we know what they did so let's try to redo it and the uh, history basically repeats itself but just in a slightly different way um like <laughs> i would love for jonah hill to like be the nice guy eddie character um but in on the heist it's just like what what how no like i just wanted to see him like react to like it's like hey, you shot a guy and you you didn't tip the waitress i'm equally as upset about both things like i <laughs> like I, I i would love to see like a heightened action uh crime drama comedy <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and kind of in the same universe uh, with those characters doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And if it if it skews that way too, I'd love to have um, the guy that played Holdaway that used the other cop with yeah. um, Mr. Orange uh, be Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yes! Oh, that'd you be have so to good. Believe it. Yes. Did you use the commode story? <laughs> well. Try using some kind of humor with them. Ask them if they're here, then who's guarding Hades? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thanks. Oh, yeah. oh, I love um, Holt. Yeah. I would also like to see uh, a sequel to this, that is the comedy sequel, where um, they hear another heist is going down. The police hear a heist is going down. So all these different precincts want to get a guy on the inside. And so the heist <laughs> is actually... All cops except for one criminal. Oh yes, everybody's a cop. <laughs> oh, I love that. No I love that so much. Other. Yeah, that's perfect. A cop? I'm not a cop. Are you a cop? No, I'm not a cop. No, I'm not a cop. And it's the same. Five hundred squad cars <laughs> just swarm. Yeah, and it's like the same scene at the end. Like everyone's in a standoff, and it's like, yeah. Oh, our guy, your guy. Oh, man. The only one who gets away is the actual criminal. (laughs) He just like this, like, wait, you all are, they're all cops? Like, yeah. So am I. Yeah, I'm a cop. Gotham PD. And he just like slowly (laughs) walks away. Uh, Yep, that's what I want to see. I think another interesting direction to take the story would be if it were, if it were like a, an all female cast. Oh, yeah. Like, that would be a super interesting... Because I know there's this one random movie that I know is, like, an all-female, like, heist film. And I can't remember what it was called. I think it was, like, maybe Set It Off. I think it was a movie with, like, Queen Latifah, um, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> I well, I don't know what that would be. Because um, I'm going to look it up. I'm pretty sure Set It Off is, like... Let's see. What's that movie? After being fired from her job as a bank teller... Frankie Vivica A. Fox begins working a janitorial service with her friends, Kimberly Elise, a single mother, Cleo Queen Latifah, a boisterous lesbian, and Stoney Jada Pinkett, who is dealing with the recent death of her brother. The women are struggling with their finances, so they decide to start robbing banks. So yeah, it is a heist oh, movie. Oh yeah. I saw the trailer for this. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 1996. So, and after hearing this all-star cast, um... Set it off is uh, I want I want to be the cast of Set It Off, 
but in <laughs> the exact same uh, universe or exact same story. Yeah, I think uh, the the gender recasting is really interesting. Like what they're doing with Ghostbusters, I yeah. think it absolutely works. Um, oh, totally. And I'd love to see it for this movie too, because there is a serious lack of females in this movie. Oh my goodness! Um, I think the only woman is like we never actually see the waitress. I don't think um, the only Barely. real woman in it is the one who uh, who shoots Mr. Orange. Yeah, who then gets then, shot by Mr. Orange. <laughs> she's immediately killed. Yeah, yeah, which is a, a very classic thing for uh, director's first movie. He was like, hey, I'm a guy that wants to make movies and I don't know any women. <laughs> you, 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 would you mind holding the camera? Yep. Um, but yeah. Yeah, just do a gender recasting. Call it a Reservoir Cats. Because we all know dogs are boys and cats are girls. That's just science. Did you actually know um, that, um, that Cabot is also slang for cat in French? Oh, really? They have a slang word for cat in French? Yeah. Do we have a slang word for cat in America? Um, we do. I don't think we're allowed to say it on the show. All right. <laughs> All right. And Reservoir That Word would be a very different movie on a channel I don't get. I don't pay oh. for smut. <laughs> well, okay, so that that's four people. So we So that would be... Jada Pinkett, um, Jada Pinkett Smith, Queen Latifah, um, who else? Vivica A. Fox. Vivica A. Fox. Um, and then Kim. Zoe Saldana. Ooh, yes. No, she's in there. She's in there. And then who else? Okay, so who's the girl who, um, goodness, she was in all those Underworld movies. Oh, Mrs. Underworld. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. I feel like she'd be good in this movie. And I want... Mm-hmm. Oh, Queen Latifah would be Mr. Cabot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's in charge of the whole thing. Or she'd Oprah. She'd also be a good Mr. White. Dude, I would love to see Oprah in a heist film. Oh, my that goodness. That would make my life. I would love to see Oprah in a heist film. Yeah, Oprah as Josephine Cabot. <laughs> She's like, I want you to get in there and get me that money. Oh, man. And the queen. Oh, man. Who else? Yeah. Queen Latifah would be uh, Harvey Keitel's character. Yeah. And imagine them all sitting around and Oprah telling her, you're going to be Miss White. And Queen Latifah's like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, no, listen, you're going to be Mrs. Black because every time I do this, everyone's trying to argue who's going to be Mrs. Pink. Yeah. Oh. No, that'd be great. I'd I'd actually really watch that movie. Remind me again who was uh uh Furiosa and Mad Max? Oh, mm-hmm. 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 We are really bad with names we today. Are so we are striking great out. with names. She's, she's Mr. F. I <laughs> <laughs> and featuring uh, you know that girl from Mad Max? No, the uh, other one. No Charlize Theron. <laughs> no, Fu- <laughs> Furiosa. Yeah, her. What, her? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah. that's furious. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Stone. Yeah. yeah, I think that she would be great. Um, that would be a fun cast. And then mm-hmm. um, another remake I want is for um, an all-kids cast. Uh, no change in dialogue. <laughs> uh, 
And it's the cast of whatever Disney show. Oh, yeah, the cast of uh, Girl Meets World. Uh, they all... <laughs> Corey is uh, <laughs> Joe. Uh, Topanga is uh, Nice Guy Eddie. And, yeah. <laughs> and all these other kids are the uh, other kids. And then season yeah. one Luke from <laughs> Modern Family. So, yeah. Oh, dang it. You beat me to it. Season one Luke. <laughs> Uh, which means season one Manny would actually have to be nice guy Eddie. Oh yeah, no, that'd be that'd oh. be great. <laughs> no. uh. Better or worse? <laughs> you know that I'm a, a big fan of recutting movies oh, in yeah. different orders, and so this would definitely be one that I'm interested in uh, in recutting to be chronological, um, like how they did. Someone else did the recut for the chronological Pulp Fiction. Um, oh, interesting. It actually starts with the watch scene and then goes all the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to to whenever uh, the Zed is deadline, he drives away, which is actually the latest chronological piece, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this would be a, a good one to recut as well. Yeah, it's it would be interesting because it's kind of like without the surprise mm-hmm. of it being of Mr. Orange. Like I feel like that whole scene. Uh, or it, you have tension in a different direction. Yeah. Because um, it's not about, because like your attention is focused on like, are we about to see this guy get lit on fire? <laughs> like that, that's mm-hmm. the whole tension of the scene. It's just like, okay, so he lost his ear. He's about to get burned alive. Uh, okay. I believe that this guy actually probably shot up all these different people because he has no remorse. And then it's just like, oh, why did he shoot him? Oh, he's the cop. It's just like, oh, good thing that that cop is still alive to, oh, oh, no, because you're right, because the tension's in a different direction, because now if the only good guy is out of commission, you're like, so what's going to happen? <laughs> like, are these guys actually yeah. going to get away for or, or get away with it? Oh, that's good. I like that. Because at first you think it's like a. Because a lot of people were comparing it to, like, the psycho kind of misdirect and psycho type uh, mm-hmm. anticipation. Um, I think it would be interesting because, like, oh, wow, like, we're following this cop who's infiltrating this thing. And then, what? This cop shoots an innocent civilian? What? This cop gets shot himself? What is happening? What movie am I watching? <laughs> like, it would completely throw the audience off in uh, a completely different direction. But I think that it would still hold up really well. That's great. Huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll we'll see. Yeah. Um so uh overall, uh what would you say your thoughts are and what are your reasons to recommend? Um overall, I think the movie still holds up. It has um like you said an origin story feel for the Quentin Tarantino movies. Um but yeah, I think it still holds up um even after all this time in a very um kind of set the tone kind of way for the Quentin Tarantino movies, the violence, the fast talking, um, deep characterization. And yeah, it was, it was fun to watch the first time. It was even more fun to, to rewatch it. Um, kind of just knowing the the spoiler and the twist at the end, um, kind of has that sixth sense feel where you can watch it again and totally get a different, a, a different view on, uh, the narrative, but yeah, fun movie. If you can stomach, uh, some of the violence. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had to say the same. Like, it's a it's a really really interesting movie. Like, I I would recommend it, especially if you're looking for like if you like the kind of crime detective heist type movies. Uh, this is mm-hmm. a, it's a strong one. It really is because you are in the movie the entire time. I know that a lot of times with um with people who are like active movie watchers, you you start to pick up on the patterns of movies. Like, okay, great, great. this guy's gonna do this. He's gonna say this. Um, the, in the music, the music, uh, or the soundtrack of, uh, a lot of movies, they will play as a character themselves. They will, um, they'll kind of lead you to suspenseful moments. Like if you're watching a horror movie and you hear a violin, like they want you to think that something is about to happen. But with this movie, the only music is the music coming from the radio. Um, right. and so you are so into the movie and the tension of everything that's happening that like um i feel like you get a chance to experience it um you get to experience a different kind of heist movie um there's a lot of mm-hmm. tension there and there's a lot to rewatch and piece together because so much is left to the viewer to figure out so even if you have seen it in the past i definitely recommend seeing it um again today and just seeing how it differentiates um, from what we're used to when it comes to a lot of crime dramas. Yeah. Yeah. The music is interesting. That's a good point about the music. Like, even when they walk away from the radio, the music fades away and then comes back in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, absolutely. And that just about does it for our review of Reservoir Dogs, the movie that helped me to understand I don't know how to spell Reservoir. Um, mm. Let us know what you thought of the movie or if you remember the movie from back in the day. Uh on Twitter, we are at Flashback Flicks. The movie is on Netflix, so uh, feel free to go ahead and check it out while it's still up there. Um, and um, go ahead and write us a review of our review on iTunes. Uh, you can feel free to follow us on Twitter, where we have pinned to the top of our Twitter page um, what you can, what you need to do to leave us a review, and we would greatly appreciate it. And we will officially name you. Uh, Mr. Black, because you're the coolest. And uh, everyone wants to be Mr. Black. Everyone wants to be Mr. Black. And be sure to tune in next time where we watch Tim Allen go to infinity and beyond with Galaxy Quest. Uh, So if you want to uh, watch along and uh, be part of the conversation, uh, go ahead and watch Galaxy Quest. It's on Netflix or on VHS if you still own those things. And uh, we look forward to talking with you guys about that movie next time here on Flashback Flicks. Remember to be kind, and we... (laughs) We were so close.